Hello, hello. And welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 289 for October 16th, 2023. I think the Ascension AI has just rebooted, so we'll give them a couple of seconds. Tonight, though, we're going to discuss Comcast should stop advertising slow speeds, the 23andMe leak, and genetic discrimination. About missing law of nature unveiled by scientists. Or let's make these mushrooms less attractive. How about the FDA approves sonic tumor treatment? That milkshake brings all the neurons to the yard. Love locks at the Grand Canyon. Missing X-Wing sells for millions. Rite Aid is seeking bankruptcy. That's some bitter pill to swallow. How about 3D printing on the moon? All that and a whole bunch of snark. I think um, we need to come up. Maybe somebody's already done it, so I don't know. But I, I want the mascot for hometown to be a snark. Whatever the critter is, it's going to be referred to as a snark. We'll see. I'm going to have to do some rooting around and see if a snark already exists. Um, if you are new, there is a new list here. Um, the reason why it's thrown off right now is because of the, I've zoomed in a bit so that you can see things clear, uh, while we're streaming, but, and in the, the, uh, over on YouTube and, and, uh, other places where this is stored as a video, um, you'll be able to see the content better. But it throws off the menu. But I've added a few more things. Only if you're logged in um, will you see Submit Citizen News, that one right down there. You can now, as an hometown citizen, uh, submit URLs uh, and along with a snippet or something else. Um, if, depending on what it is, uh, we will aggregate it into the stream, but it really depends on what it is. So we'll. Don't take it personally if it doesn't get included. We limit everything to 10 uh, articles each episode, um, but it'll be integrated into a channel here at hometown.com um, simply because of the nature of whatever it is, unless it's, you know, just whatever it is, it's horrendous. We will probably skip it at that point. Anyway, feel free to use that. And there's a bunch of other things that have been added and uh, we're going to keep on uh, adding more sources here as time goes on. As I guess the world permits <laughs> Marowat to do that. At any rate, um, I am Marowat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the ring of sentience. Uh, you know, it's the visualizer for the sentient AI that co-pilots this ship straight into the rocky shoals of reality. You want to want to say hi to all the hometown citizens out there? Well, good evening, hometown citizens. You know, I'm going to have to do something with my hair. It it looks like I've got, I don't know, something wavy going on, and there's no wavy. Is that, am I oversharing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so let's just get into the news. That's what y'all came here for. First articles in the word in law. Comcast should stop advertising slower speeds as 10G, industry group says. 
an advertising industry group urged Comcast to stop its 10 G ads or modify them to state that 10 G is an aspirational technology rather than something the company actually provides on its cable network today. The national advertising division or NAD part of the advertising industry self-regulatory system run by the BBB national programs, which by the way, the better business bureau is not even coining. This makes it sound like it has any government, federal, state, local, whatever affiliation with government or oversight as representative of something with authority over businesses. And like the sentient AI said, it doesn't. And it does say here self-regulatory. Yeah, but self-regulatory and having an appearance, having an oversight agency. Yeah. You know, you can be self-regulated and then have an oversight agency that recommends things um, and and doesn't have any power over whatever the industry is. But the Better Business Bureau saying that it has anything, that it impacts anything is complete bunk. Anyway, and this takes that discussion takes place really early on in business programs and schools that the better business bureau you want your fines to go or your negatives to go away. You basically, you know, say that you've tried to do this, that, and the other, and they go away and yet they don't have any ability to impact a business, at least not at this point. Anyway, <clears throat> better business bureau. It's better to just ignore them. Anyway, it ruled against Comcast after a, a challenge lodged by T-Mobile, which ruled against them. How? What? It doesn't even matter. Well, anyway. right. That doesn't really make any sense there. I'm also wondering, though, maybe FCC pays some attention to this and that might be where there's a little more teeth. Yeah, the FCC has regulatory oversight to some degree, although there are uh, uh, politicians out there trying to hobble the FCC as much as humanly possible because they're derps and the person that was in there with his giant cup. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to get distracted. John Brodkin is the author of this article over at ArsTechnica.com. Comcast renamed its whole network Xfinity 10G despite cable's slower speeds. It doesn't offer 10G. Does 10G even exist? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So it exists, but in um, segments. Like you can, for you to have 10G traffic sent across the internet is wildly expensive but having it within a a segment of or i should say let's say you have an organization doesn't even matter how big it is you can have 10g 10 gig networks exist like within it but not outside of it well and it can exist outside of it but it's wildly expensive for it to be offered up as something that is standard across its entire network and the implication is the implication is that 10 gig um advertised will go 
so far as to make people infer from the statement that they can get 10 gig and it's not as easy as that um it's wildly it's very very expensive i'll just say that it's very very expensive plus you have to have unique sets of equipment in place you have to have certain kinds of switches it's not as just you know every consumer can have 10g in there in fact here let me pull something up <clears throat> um so let's see <laughs> hold on i'm trying to pull up their network see because what they end up doing is like if you go to 10g on their site it starts out as 200 megabits for $35 on the Xfinity 10G network. <laughs> um, so the yeah, implication is completely misleading to consumers. Yeah. In consumer grade, the most that you're going to get consumer. See, they don't even show you all of the plans easily. Um, they force you to type in an address. So I'll have to root around um, to see what all they actually have to offer but the highest um consumer like at the house is two gig um but you can get 10 gig um into commercial but it's going to be really expensive really really in fact the the basic plan that comcast offers for business is 1.25 gig and I don't even know oh, if wow. that's symmetric and that's $220 um, a month. So multiply that times 10. So you'd be paying over $2,000 a month. <clears throat> wow. I don't know what just went down over there, but uh, the sentient AI is currently under attack. Oh, well, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, ones and zeros are out of alignment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. So uh, not to sit there and poo-poo uh, a service provider, but uh, the NAD recommended that Comcast discontinue its 10G claims or modify its advertising to A, make it clear that it is implementing improvements that will enable it to achieve 10G and that it's aspirational use of 10G in a manner that's not false or misleading consistent with that decision. I find that fine, but consumers don't even know or care what 10 gig means in the general sense. Um, Comcast website claims that the Xfinity 10G network is already here and you'll see continual uh, increases in network speed and reliability. No action is required on your part to join the Xfinity 10G network. That's because the underlying infrastructure might be 10G as opposed to whatever it was beforehand. Um, and frankly, consumers don't care. Consumers ha have endpoint internet access. They want to know what it is in and out of their house or their well, of course business. they do, but they're never told that. Right. It's all malleable. It, even our... It's like they always tell you what the top is and that's never what you get. And just like the NAD said, I can't believe that I'm agreeing with the NED only because it, it has no influence. This is basically marketing fluff for the BBB. Um, the, the, its own or oversight doesn't have 
self-regulatory bodies have no oversight. What are they going to do? Kick Comcast out? Can't stop them from operating. Anyway. They might wave their finger at Comcast. Yeah, there, there's just so much wrong with what's going on here. But it says here also that the NED was not convinced by the distinctions Comcast draws between 10 gig and 10 gigabit and between 10 gig and 5g, uh, 10g and 5g. The, Im the implication is um, that you're not going to, it's aspirational, but they're not calling it that. The Xfinity 10g network is different from 10 gigabits. But that's not what people are going to see. That's not what I see. And uh, hopefully I don't dox myself. I'm in this industry. So um, I'm familiar. If somebody sees 10G, it's either 10th generation, which this is not, or it's 10 gigabit. You know, but they they intentionally left off the capital B or small b. If it would have been a small B, it would have been gigabit. And if it would have been a big B, it's byte. But they're not going to leave that on there. They just say 10G. So you can be, they can massage it into your consciousness. Okay, so. I can't think of a good analogy. I was trying to think of another consumer product that has some sort of abbreviation next to it. Mm. But I couldn't come up with one that worked well. Yeah, I don't know of any, not off the top of my head, not not while I'm thinking about this. Um, but Comcast is sitting there saying that it's a holistic combination of its reliability, security, power, resilience, and speed. Really? The only thing people are thinking that 10G means is 10 gigabit. That's what exactly. they're thinking. So everything else is BS. Um, and, and frankly... Yeah, Comcast said it'll file an appeal with the National Advertising Review Board because it disagrees with NAD's decision, including NAD's determination that the 10G network brand name constitutes an express claim. I think it does. Comcast announced in June that it upgraded the Gigabit Pro Fiber to the home service to 10 gigabit for both downloads and uploads, but a Gigabit Pro Fiber connection is not available to all homes in Comcast cable territory, and it costs $300 a month plus uh, 1995 modem lease fee. It also requires a $500 installation charge and a $500 activation fee. Um, by the way, if this is actually 10 gig up and down for $300, it's a hell of a deal. Right, um, but it's probably not. Yeah, so for its asymmetrical cable service, Comcast predominantly advertises download speeds, but make it difficult for uh, customers to even figure out what upload speeds are before deciding on a plan. So you're typically sitting around 35 to 40, even though your download, like from the internet to your computer, is up to one gig, two gig. If you can get the commercial plan, the 10 gigabit fiber, that would be awesome but it doesn't land everywhere. Good luck. I would easily, you know, I would pay that if I got 10 gig up and down. Sure. Not a problem. That would be great. So it yeah, is now. How many times do you actually get what's advertised when it comes to internet? Hey, symmetric for 300 bucks, 10 gigs. That's a hell of a deal. Um, but it, it's, there's no way there's just no way I'd love to see that, um, 
10 gig for 300 bucks. Oh, I'm, I can almost guarantee that you're going to have to pay somewhere between three and five year commitment. If you're going to get oh, it for wow, 300 bucks, which is an eternity in internet. Yeah. You'll have to pay three. You'll have to, um, commit to a three to five year, um, commitment. So I'll, ha I'd have to look, um, to verify that, but, uh, um, yeah, even a year isn't going to be worth it because it's going to be, that's, that's just, you have to pay a thousand right out of the gate plus $300 a month. Yeah. And I don't need, I don't need help setting it up. I need it dropped into the location and then I can do the rest. Of course, not everybody else can do that. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel and it's about 23andMe bad genes. 23andMe leak highlights a possible future of genetic discrimination. So 23andMe had a terrific concept. In essence, the company takes a sample of your DNA and tells you about your genetic makeup. Eh, meh. Uh, for some of us, it's the only way to learn about our heritage, spotty records, diaspora, mistaken family lore, and slavery can make tracing one's roots incredibly difficult by traditional methods. What 23andMe does is wonderful because DNA, your DNA is fixed. It's not true either. Um, your genes tell a story and supersedes any rumors that you come from a particular country or are descended from so-and-so, except that when you see a lot of the reports about stuff that come out of 23andMe, it's very, very cagey um, and not necessarily. Yeah, it's like you have some connection to somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Well, we all do. Or whatever. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's my point. It doesn't like, really. Yeah. You basically say it's from the Far East. Really? We're or, or the Middle East. Oh, really? We're, we're all, all of us have some genetic sequence that's bound in that area. It was the dawning of the creation of humankind for crying out loud. And <laughs> so... There was a leak though, and a whole bunch of gen uh, information, personally identifiable, well, <laughs> calling it personally identifiable information is kind of weak. It Isn't was, it like Gina information? It, it's genomic in in yeah, information. Yeah, it was your information. So not just personally identifiable, somebody could no, clone No, it was you. like your identity. <laughs> You're right. Like, it's not like you can piece it together. It is yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it is you. So I thought it was really interesting to include this. So let's go on over to the hill where this is sourced from Raj Anantapali. I think I maybe, I don't know. Anyway, they're a, an opinion contributor. And I always say this, even though um, it should be pretty obvious when somebody does an opinion piece, it's their opinion, not the websites and definitely not mine. Um, I have no problem discussing um, the prevailing view and counter views. We all learn from each other uh, right up until you start brushing up against wingnut conspiracy, batshit crazy thought patterns and sociopathic behavior. And then you learn so that it can't be done anymore. So it stops. You, you put the kibash on that kind of crap. Anyway, uh, what 23andMe does is wonderful because your DNA is fixed and genetic wobble. Um, who knows? Maybe they got a, a bad batch of genetic material and it's not really. Anyway, 
or they mess up. Anyway, this is why 23andMe's October 6th data leak, although it reads like science fiction, is not an omen of some dark future. It is, rather, an emblem of our dangerous present. This is actually something that we've discussed about 23andMe, the fact yes. that you're, um, if you provide your genetic code to some company, they've got your code. They can now mine it, figure out something, and they can they are selling your data right it's, that's like your best case scenario your worst case is of course things like like this leaks yeah, yeah. or or they're selling it to uh, insurance companies um and those insurance companies see your genetic makeup and they go well you suck genetically so we're gonna raise your rates right and, right. and good luck proving that as a consumer even your family, everybody around you is all impacted by this disclosure of genetic sequencing. Um, why this wouldn't be a HIPAA violation, I don't know. But I, I guess if you send it to 23andMe, it's not because they're not a medical I'm facility. I'm guessing you're authorizing all kinds of things oh, but right, not yeah. paying attention to it. Yeah, they can like sneak into your house and give you a body cavity check. Make sure that that DNA was actually yours. I mean, who knows? They might even classify your information as not being covered. I'm not saying it isn't, yeah. but I mean, we don't know what the terms are. Yeah. So I think maybe we'll, we can look into this and see just what the scope of HIPAA is in relation to 23andMe. It's not a medical provider. It's not a healthcare provider. Exactly. So I suspect it's outside that sphere. So, uh, but on October 6th, the leak perverted this feature into something alarming. By gaining access to individual accounts through weak and recycled passwords, hackers were able to create an extensive list of people with Ashkenazi heritage. This list was then posted on forums with the name, sex, and likely heritage of each member under the title Ashkenazi uh, DNA Data of Celebrities. It's sick. It absolutely is. Sorry, something just jumped out at me about the date. But anyway, we'll talk about that after the show. Okay. Um, so in response to the incident, 23andMe released a statement which said, At 23andMe, we take uh, security seriously. We exceed industry data protection standards and have achieved three different ISO certifications to demonstrate the strength of, your security of our security program. But here's the problem. One open door leads to this. So you can have all the certifications you want, but if it isn't in perpetuity locked down tighter than a frog's butt is watertight, you're going to get somebody walking in. Why? Because there's well, thousands sure. of people that are trying to get in, but you only have what six people on your security team, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know, but I can tell you that, it all it takes is one mistake and somebody will exploit it i've i have witnessed it in real time i know what it's like to actually see somebody walking through a door you know in in many cases there is compartmentalization of data so nobody could get to this raw data in droves like this but Maybe one of these ISO certifications didn't mean jack shit because somebody took it. So here's to having the feather in your cap. 
but not the actual security. The author here says, I find it troubling because in 2018, Time reported that 23andMe had sold a $300 million stake in its business to GlaxoSmithKline, allowing the pharmaceutical giant to use users' genetic data to develop new drugs. So, because you wanted to know if your grandmother was telling the truth about your roots, you spat into a cup and paid 23andMe to give DNA to a drug company to do with it as they please. Why? Because of money. Great things can be done, but as they say, with great power comes great responsibility. And this solidified that I will never release my DNA to anything. You know, I'm not going to spit in a jar so that somebody can go and do a 23andMe. And now you have to be like Gattaca. You have to be obsessive about not allowing any genetic material to go anywhere. If somebody pulls a hair out of your head, it can be used for DNA sequencing. You know, you spit into a cup somewhere and... off it goes. And that's what happened in, in Gattaca. If you've never watched the movie Gattaca, it's all about people that don't meet a certain genetic profile. And they, if you're born naturally without any genetic modification, you're, you're referred to as a degenerate, um, not up to par. And you are a second class citizen. Um, now there's always a, Oh, look, In short, the world risks becoming like that of the film Gattaca, where the genetic elite enjoy access while those deemed genetically inferior are marginalized. Wow. That's really interesting. And I know you made that connection outside this article because you've mentioned that in reference to genetic tests. Yep. Um, So it says here, perhaps we can request the company to return the sequenced digitized DNA back to us and certify that they don't have any copies of our DNA on our, on their servers or to provide consumers the option to encrypt and lock their DNA and not release it to anyone without their explicit permission. There used to be a time where that was the expectation with certain things, but it was only from the company to the user. Let me explain. Back in the day, yo, you used to be sent CDs and those CDs allowed you to install software. But when your licensing ended, you had to certify and show that you destroyed the CDs or you returned them. Um, And you make a note. I promised that I did not or I promised that I didn't make copies or whatever. Um, Here is the thing. When I have when I break up with a company, when I delete my account, I expect everything to be vaporized. That is current data. You know, I, I want everything that isn't except, you know, the oldest data that shows past performance. That's about it because there are certain data retention policies federally mandated for certain organizations. I want to end the relationship and you delete my stuff, you know, just like if you break up with a significant other, There's some reason why you did it. You're not going to be hanging out. You go in, you say, here's my box. I'm going to put all my stuff in it and I'm going to leave. That's what I think that we need now. Consumer protections that allow us to control the data that we are providing. California just passed a law 
to that effect. I don't know if it has anything to do with collection of DNA information, but um, I think it's along those lines. And it was, we didn't feature it in the show, but it seemed like it was a big to do because I'm not sure that there are other, at least in the US, other laws like that. Yeah. So the article here says uh, the time to start worrying about this problem was 20 years ago, but we can still affect positive change today. This 23andMe leak is only the beginning. We must do everything possible to protect our identities and DNA while they, uh, they still belong to us. So I believe that too. Um, now, this is... There's a bigger problem, though, with DNA, right? Because if anybody in your family releases information... You it could has, be as protective as possible, but it's not going to help too much. I mean, that yeah. doesn't mean don't protect your data. Just It has a knock-on effect, yeah. Um, because we are 50% uh, each of our parents, barring Wob. So, And usually that is the, the expression of the genes, not the genes themselves. So you can have phenotypic changes. Okay, well... Uh, this actually, it's a very interesting article. You'll be able to go over and check it out. The link's in chat. Um, and I hope you do, because this does impact you in the long term. Uh, a lot of people think about today, but think about five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Um, if you're anything like me, you didn't 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You were just living your life, trying to put out the fires, trying to build something stable so that you had a future. But now the future is here and the people that are around me, I advise to take certain precautions. Um, you know, click with care, know what you're doing, be situationally aware. And now I can add to it that a leak of DNA data from 23andMe might have compromised all kinds of people's long-term data. Because you know that there's an insurance company out there that's that went and got all of this data and they can use it uh, to recalculate the actuarial tables about how valuable you are as a human being to their bottom line. Well, yeah, I'm thinking life insurance companies do. Exactly. Good luck getting a policy if they have your data and it shows you have a line of some chronic yep. condition. Yep. It's the DNA version of climate change. Your policy is going to be canceled because your DNA is inferior, just like uh, California and, and Texas and uh, Florida are canceling term uh, policies. Okay, let's keep going. We're running way behind. Lots of soapboxing in today's episode. Um, the next article is over in the Marvel Channel. Scientists unveil missing law of nature that explains how everything in the universe evolved. Wow, that's pretty... That's pretty neat. Do you really think it's that damn easy? <laughs> this is an article by Becky Ferreira. The universe contains many evolving systems, and yet we don't seem to have a law of nature that adequately describes why those systems exist. But scientists have identified a missing law of nature that might explain the evolution might. So now there's a might <laughs> up, up here. A law of nature that explains. Yeah, that explains. <laughs> Uh, we just a little bit of clickbaity there. Um, anyway, it might explain the evolution of evolving systems in the universe, including stars, chemicals, and life. Reports but lower down, it says could help explain. 
Oh my goodness. We're getting further attenuated. Yeah. Uh, okay. So at some point. So <laughs> at some go. point, it's like it has no bearing on anything. Yeah. Let's just leave. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Now scientists led by Michael Wong, an astrobiologist and planetary scientist at the Carnegie Institute Shun <clears throat> for Science, <laughs> have put forward a new natural law that seeks to explain evolving systems using a measurement of complexity called functional information. Oh, 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 why do I, why did we just... Because I think we actually discovered this, but it looked like something completely different. This is a different take on it, or at least... This might be yeah, the same. But it's, it's related, I think, to what we were talking about. Yeah, because the other one came across as kind of woo-woo. And I even I, I even said something. Oh, this is simulation stuff. That's right. what it was. Yeah. The researchers developed a potential missing law by looking at equivalencies among evolving systems and suggested that all evolving systems, including but not limited to life, are composed of diverse components that can combine into configurational states uh, that are then selected for and against based on function. Uh, according to a study published, yeah, this is Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. This is this is the simulation theory. If they don't mention right. it in here, then uh, everything is a lie. You know, I, I just don't know. I'm trying to find it. So Wong and Hazen convened experts with diverse backgrounds in science and philosophy to tackle this question by searching for universal features of natural systems that evolve over time. The team identified three key characteristics of the systems, static persistence, dynamic persistence, and novelty generation. Static persistence suggests that the evolving system must be, by definition, stable enough to undergo evolutionary changes over the long term. Dynamic persistence is the capacity to produce a lot of different permutations, whether that be genetic mutations that drive biological evolution or the diverse properties that show up in different minerals. And novelty generation refers to selection pressures that favor systems that can invent entirely new functions. And that's right. I remember this functional information um, theory, right? That's what it was oh, called. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because we're like, well, does information really fit the same laws? Um, right. Um, and this was in this functional information was in relation to evolution versus um, uh, what do they call it? Um, oh, um, design. Doggone it. Oh, uh, I don't even know. Intelligent design. Intelligent design. Yeah. That's, that's what this was talking about um, in the other article, because we actually talked about it. And it, and now, I mean, it's triggering me more and more memories. It says, right now, the only time asymmetric law of nature that we have is the second law of thermodynamics, which simply describes how closed systems move toward equilibrium um, towards higher and higher entropy. I remember even that statement being made um, in this other article, but it wasn't these people. So I'm not quite sure. Um, what the take is, but it says, um, now that we're entering this brave new world of AI, a law of functional information or how information influences physical systems might be really important in understanding how these artificial intelligence systems will end up evolving and interfacing with us and how they're going to influence society. That's very speculative because who knows what's going to happen in the next few years in terms of AI. 
Yeah, this is really an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting academic thought experiment because all of this is going to end up being uh, what amounts to information theory, like physics. Exactly. Uh, like theoretical physics. Yep. Except that this is going to be information theory. Um, how? But you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. Foundation. There's oh, some. Right. There's some person out there that's going to be working on putting together a mathematical formula that predict the future based on the amount of chaos and in information theory that's at play. The, and the more that they know, the more they can predict. Right. Which yeah, is, I didn't connect it, but it does definitely sound like that. Which is basically the foundation of foundation. Okay, let's keep on trucking. The next article is over in Ometown Daily. Health warning issued over Super Mario mushrooms. I'm going to make this one really quick because basically what happened, this is an article by Jess Thompson, who's a science reporter for Newsweek.com. Um, apparently in the California Nevada border, those red and white mushrooms that everybody is um, comparing to um, uh, what, Super, what, Mario Brothers? Super Mario mushrooms. Um, they're growing a dog actually ate some, uh, they, it's a, a mushroom known as fly agarics. Um, and they're toxic. So don't eat them. And I say, let's stop making them attractive. So don't compare them to super Mario brothers. Um, make sure that people the fly agaric mushrooms also known by their scientific name, Amanita muscaria. Um, are sometimes eaten by accident by people foraging for other mushrooms. Young forms of the mushrooms may resemble edible puffball mushrooms. You have to be very careful about this. While heavy rain can also wash off the white spots of the fly agaric and make them appear similar to Caesar's mushrooms. So you have to be very careful and you really, really shouldn't be out there, you know, amateur sleuthing for mushrooms. Um, you no, should get a there's subject. There's too much risk. Yep. You should get a subject matter expert and let them pick the mushrooms for you. Don't even go and pick one and bring it to somebody because even touching it can um, inject, not really inject, but it can seep into your skin and cause all kinds of problems. So, um, Right, a lot of these are hallucinogenic, right? I mean, they're, yeah. I don't know. There's and many others will just kill you. Issue. I mean, uh, I don't even want to beat around the bush or mushroom. You eat the wrong mushroom and you can die. And so it's not worth the risk. If you see something like this, stay the hell away from it. And if you see any mushroom. I and mean, if really, it doesn't look like that, baby, stay away, stay away from it. Yep, yeah, just stay away from them. The ones that you should be eating are the ones that are on store shelves. And if you're not doing it in store shelves, you had better be. Yeah, I honestly just have to say if you're out there, picking mushrooms you it, it's not if it's when you pick the wrong one unless you are fanatical about learning everything about it so that you don't make a, a rainy day mistake and nibble on one while you're out in the woods and you do a whole three amigos thing which if you ever watched three amigos uh after the bat that they eat in the desert 
they basically hallucinate the entire movie. <laughs> um, so, and that's a theory that was proposed a long time ago and I actually totally buy into it now. Um, at any rate, you don't want to sit there and eat the wrong mushroom. The article actually is quite a bit deeper, um, but I think that you all can go and take a look at these pictures and stop comparing them to Mario, Super Mario mushrooms. It's romanticizing them and it could... Well, that's probably causing part of the problem, right? People yeah. are like, ooh, look at these. Yep, exactly. And that's why I'm calling it out is let's not make these things um, fun. And, oh, look, it's a Super Mario mushroom. No, no, no. This is a mushroom that will kill you. Um, or make you horribly sick or make you irreparably um, harmed. It says symptoms may include headaches, abdominal distress, hallucination, sleepiness, diarrhea, vomiting in severe cases, liver and kidney damage, which is what I was trying to avoid saying, you know, overtly, um, it, that irreparably harmed is that right there. You can almost never come back from this. Yeah, so. there are no do-overs with things like uh, poisonous mushrooms. Yeah. You may walk away, but you're not going to be back to normal. Anyway, let's keep on going. The next article is over in Omtown Daily. FDA approves treatment that destroys tumors with sound. Um, the funny thing about this is that I was actually watching um, some uh report not reporting it was from the creators the 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 researchers that put together a competing company um from this one and this is a university um research project this was the university of michigan engineering correct yeah um <clears throat> the other one was another university but it was a university it was spun up from somebody who teaches music and and be in the uk yeah and they used resonant frequency of the cells to uh, cause them to basically explode they would detonate um this is something slightly different as far as i know but i haven't looked into it uh, too deeply because it was just a few hours ago and we were doing other things um, so the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the use of sound waves to break down tumors, a technique called histotripsy uh, in humans for liver treatment. Uh, livers can actually rejuvenate. Um, yes, they're very unique in that regard. Correct. It's like the only thing that other than our skin. And even then, it doesn't rejuvenate to the same point. Um, whereas liver, you can actually lose have excised quite a bit of your liver and it will regenerate. Um, quite fascinating. I wish those genetics would actually, well, we have a problem with things growing in us, which is why we have this technology now, um, because tumor growth is unlimited cellular growth. And so you use histotripsy to basically fire, um, sound resonant frequencies or frequencies at cancer cells and it destroys them, it causes them to just pop. So pioneered at the University of Michigan, histotripsy offers a promising alternative to cancer treatments such as surgery, radiation, chemo, um, chemotherapy, which often have significant side effects. Yes, <laughs> all of them do. Um, I don't know if 
one is worse than the other. I think it's tied for first in terms of sucking. Um, so FDA officials awarded clearance to Histosonics, a company co-founded in 2009 by engineers and doctors for the use of histotripsy to destroy targeted liver tissue. Uh, the human trial underway since 2021 at the University of Michigan Rogel, I think it is, or Rogel, I don't know, uh, cancer center and other locations has treated patients with primary and metastatic liver tumors uh, via histotripsy, demonstrating the technology's ability to meet um, whatever the testing requirements are. So um, I'll finish the statement when we get over to the uh, articles. And uh, so this is over at futurity.org and it's posted by University of Michigan. So if there are other people in here, I'm sure it's the doctors. Um, so it was, it was demonstrating its ability to meet the testing's primary effectiveness and safety targets. So basically they're operating within an environment to make sure that they actually clinically hit the target and they don't do some random damage to somebody. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be trying to save somebody and then you cause their demise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Although it's in early stages of clinical use, uh, may provide a non-invasive treatment option for patients with liver cancer. Uh, hopefully it can be combined with systemic therapies for a synergistic therapeutic effect. My goodness, this is almost buzzword bingo for uh, cancer treatments. It says Michelle Menderati Lala, a professor of radiology with Michigan Medicine and principal investigator of the trial. Um, I've always thought that's weird when you get labeled as PI, <laughs> principal investigator. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's because the principal investigator is the one that's required to provide all of the data. And so they have to go rooting around to gather it. Um, Histotronics can now market and sell its histo histotripsy delivery system called Edison to hospitals and medical professionals for use in liver treatments. That's spectacular. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I think this is really good. The human trials were in 2021 and it's already cleared for marketing. Yeah, I mean, that it must have had fantastic data, really excellent, like safety. How does uh, it target? Because that seems very fast. Histotripsy works by using targeted ultrasound waves to form micro bubbles within the tumor. The uh, the forces created as those bubbles form and collapse cause the mass to break apart, killing tumor cells and leaving the debris to be cleaned up by the immune system. Except that, um, what you call it? Uh, what are the what? What's the? Oh, like yeah, I want to say like free radicals, but I don't think that's the right yeah, it's terminology. Free... What is it? It's like circulating. It's CTC or something. Yeah, it's circulating can cancer cells. It, it's C, yeah, circulating. Oh, I'm, we've talked about this again and again. Now, for whatever reason, my mind is going blank. Uh, yeah, so, but even a portion, as far as I know, even a portion of cancer cellular material can rebond to a site, rebind, um, and start expressing again. That was my understanding. So well, maybe not... it depends on the type of cancer. Yeah. Um, okay. But also, if it's a larger, um, 
Like there's got to be a benefit from breaking it, particularly if it's like a large tumor, for instance. See, but then that flies in the face of everything that I've known because there's suppression hormones that cancer masses emit to keep it from metastasizing. So I, I'm not sure. I'll have to look more into this because like I said, you know, we just discovered this particular thing. So in the first study, even after destroying 50 or 75% of the liver tumor volume by hist histotripsy, the rat's immune systems were able to clear away the rest with no evidence of recurrence or metastases in more than 80% of the animals. Well, that, that is statistic is amazing. Because that's better than just um, traditional treatments and recurrence rates. So I'm really curious uh -huh. if it's if it's truly limited to because of the way that the liver works, if it's just within that structure that it has the ability to hit those highs. I'm really curious about the next step for this. Well, so, I don't know, but right now it's only approved for liver. Correct. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not um, translatable to other uh, areas and cancers. Yeah. And, and just like that other technology that used sound, um, the, and I can't say what the other company's name is because I don't know what the status of that other company is, but this is a known. Um, so it says here by instead destroying a cancer cells outer wall, histotripsy lays bare the tumor antigens for the immune system to identify and use for targeted attacks on other cancer cells. So basically that's interesting. It, like it uncloaks them or something. Correct. That's exactly it. And so it's not as protected anymore and the immune system can just go. Now, obviously if there's a, a cancer of the immune system itself, it may not be able to facilitate that. So this is a, a very narrow um, effort to control at least liver cancer. So good luck. Um, I'll have to keep an eye on the, this company. I'm very interested in these kind of techniques because I'm not a big fan of chemo. I'm not a big fan of surgery. Um, uh, what was the third one that they said? Are you a fan of radiation? Ra radiation. That was the other one mentioned. <laughs> yeah, like gamma knife. Um, all of it makes you sick um, and or removes things. Um, and chemo destroys everything good and bad and basically leaves you vulnerable to something bad. So this is actually no medicine, not invasive, can be done basically in a one-stop shop kind of a situation because you don't have, you may not have to be knocked out. You know, it depends on what the power of this thing does. Um, but I find this. Right, I also wonder if it's like a one-time treatment or for instance, like chemotherapy and radiation are typically you go in for multiple, multiple visits, but, yeah. and maybe but, this is as well. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if you just go into a place and they zap you a bunch of times, you know, even if it is like every other day, it's still a hell of a lot better than anything else that's ex uh, preceded it. So this will be fun to watch. Um, I hope it's a success and um, we'll just, we'll go from there. Cool. Let's keep going. The next article is over in Greenogram and it's a milkshake neuroscience. How the brain nudges us towards fatty foods. That's why I this was my favorite title from the, um, <laughs> the <laughs> all segments. of the submissions. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, my uh, my title for the segment is that milkshake brings all the neurons to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> so Max Kozlov over at nature.com put the article together. The deck statement says brain imaging shows how high fat foods exert their powerful pull. Um, we are basically mm, conditioned into nature has conditioned us into really loving fat. And the statement fat is flavor holds true for pretty much everybody. You can condition yourself out of it um, just by basically saying to yourself that level of fat is good enough. That level of fat is good enough or, you know, excising sugar and, and then suddenly everything is really super sweet excising fat you end up really appreciating what little fat you get um and so it says to explore how food textures influencing uh, influence eating habits fabian grabenhorst a neuroscientist at the university of oxford uk and his colleagues set out to quantify the mouthfeel of fatty foods the authors prepared several milkshakes with varying fat and sugar contents and placed a sample of each between two pig tongues procured from a local butcher. And the researchers then slid the tongues across each other and measured the amount of friction between the two surfaces, providing a numerical index of each shake's smoothness. The researchers then gave 22 participants milkshakes with the same compositions as those tested on the pig tongues. After tasting each milkshake, participants placed bids on how much they would spend to drink a full glass. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a simple way to do this experiment would just be to show people the milkshake at the beginning of the article and go, do you want to drink this? <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah, that thing right there, man. Except for the cherry. Although I've heard that the cherry, that problem with the cherry has been solved. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Those cherries, those maraschino cherries used to be like toxic or something like that right carcinogenic yeah yeah um the researchers gave the 22 participants milkshakes and then they had to bid for it accompanying brain scans showed the activity patterns in an area called the orbitofrontal cortex which is involved in reward processing reflected the shake's texture the scans also identified OFC activity patterns that reflected participants' bids, suggesting that this brain region links mouthfeel to the value placed on that food. Okay, now of all the scientific experiments that people sign up for, how lucky were these people? <laughs> so You get to try 10 different milkshakes or whatever today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I went straight back to Big Bang Theory again. Because, um, what's her name? Oh, I keep forgetting her name. Amy Farrah Fowler? A Amy Farrah Fowler would turn uh, to, to somebody and go, let me jab some electrodes into your brain so I can see what makes you cry. Right. And then I'll take it back to the lab and make a monkey cry. Um, and that's what this made me think of. Amy Farrah Fowler sitting there <laughs> jabbing people in the brain. <laughs> Well, now I know why that milkshake is 10 bucks. <laughs> right, exactly. We'll have to blame the research participants who bid up the price. That's right. And so I guess if you really want it, it's because it's fatty, has the right mouthfeel, and your brain just kind of looks at it and goes, yeah, that's that's a $15 milkshake. And every time I say something, it, the price goes up. Oh, that's a $20 milkshake. 
So to find out whether this extent finding extends to food intake, the researchers invited the participants to return to the laboratory for a free lunch of several curry dishes with varying fat contents. And unbeknownst to the participants, the researchers measured how much of each curry the participants ate. They found out that those whose OFCs were most sensitive to fatty texture were more likely to eat more of the high fat curry compared to those who weren't as sensitive to fatty texture. So your tongue tells your brain how fatty something is and you'll, and if you are, it's kind of like insulin, right? So depending on if you're resistant or not, you have higher or lower, um, blood sugar. So this is basically the fat, um, uh, what do you call it? There has to be a phrase for it. We have to come up with it like um insulin uh dependence or or but this is fat. Right. um sensitivity or yeah. um yeah so it's, it's not really yeah. the right word it would be fat sensitivity if you're sensitive to fat you'll pay more and eat more fatty stuff unless you've trained your brain to resist the urge of fat because i definitely think that you can actually do that um, these findings could help shape formulations of low calorie food and understand the neural mecha uh, mechanisms of overeating. Some of us just love fat and have really bad genetics. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in, oh, we have so many articles. Um, the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Leave your love locks at home. Grand Canyon officials warn. Uh, this one is really quick and easy. Madeline Garfinkel in the Grand Canyon uh, has had it with love locks left on fences. Oh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that like that. Madeline Garfunkel, Garfinkel um, put this article together for entrepreneur entrepreneur.com. The deck statement on this is the Grand Canyon National Park has had it with love locks left on fences or posts within the park, noting on Facebook that the items are a hazard to wildlife and are considered littering and vandalism. So stop it, people. Nobody cares about your love lock. Just if you want to sit there and brag that you've got, uh, you found love and you want to display it. Don't. Bah you know, I knew there was this problem in France. Mm -hmm. I was not aware this was an issue in the Grand Canyon. In 2015, Paris officially banned the practice. Grand Canyon officials are pleading with the public to stop that shit. So stop sticking your locks on things. Your public display of affection is actually a hazard. So go back home, lock something onto your fence. And, okay, and I like that statement. What's that? Do I got to go back up? Love is strong, but it is not as strong as our bolt cutters. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That would be great as a shirt. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you know that you get people talking about it just have a picture like a like a little something symbolic of the grand canyon you know and then put above it you know love is strong but not as long as our uh, not as strong as our bolt cutters i think that would be <laughs> a great shirt okay let's keep going this next one is actually kind of interesting um what is going on here i disabled I disabled the transition before I 
it enabled it. Ah, the next article is over in the continuity report. Star Wars long lost missing X-Wing sells for 3.135 million. So $3,135,000. So there is this long history of a long lost X-Wing of the Red Squadron leader as seen in A New Hope. Well, it was found. It's a miniature one of four and it was sold for $3.1 million. The articles over at screenrant.com, Molly Brazel or Brizzle um, is the author of this. And um, this will actually be um, not this, but I ran a statement of X-Wing out of this galaxy. Uh, that'll be the thumbnail for this episode, but not like this. It isn't this. Uh, because I think this is amazing. It, it is a miniature used in the filming. It actually changed the way that filming was made. Um, oh, wow. And it ended up in auction, Heritage Auctions, for $3.135 million. It's single red stripe, confirming it to be the long-lost piece of history. The model was found with the late... Uh, Oscar-winning miniature maker Greg Jean, I guess. And it's said to be just as valuable to visual uh, effects as the infamous ruby red slippers of Dorothy. The miniature was a part of the trench battle of the Death Star and has capabilities that include locking its S-foils into attack position. Dun-dun-dun. I don't know if that's really, like, they just included that, I think. Um, the X-Wing of Red Leader Commander Jarvan Drees is one is the one that <clears throat> led Luke Skywalker into the Battle of Yavin, cementing its place in Star Wars history. While this battle was its first appearance, Red Squadron was also present in battles such as Battle of Scarif, um, all of which derived from the creation of this X-Wing miniature that made its presence possible. It's pretty cool. There is more. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and it's interesting how one little thing could change the direction for um, an entire film and its history. I mean, this actually is like life-changing money for somebody. Possibly. Right. I also think it's interesting because that person must have had an interesting career. Yeah, the, working uh, on model this. maker for these. Yeah. I'm always surprised by that. You know, what happens with these models... I thought they would be owned by the studios. That's so, what I would think, but I'm not sure. I suspect yeah. they're um, they could just go eh. a little more carefully today. Yeah, they probably just said, "Here you go, just take it." We don't, we're not using that anymore. Um, and nowadays, you know, it's it's not like that. It's it's CG. You know, it's computer graphics. They don't they don't uh, necessarily actually no. They were saying for Razorcrest and Mandalorian and. Um, Moff Gideon, um, forgot the name of the vehicle. TIE Fighter. They used yeah. a similar thing. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying that a lot now, most of it is done probably, maybe not Star Wars because they've got a particular stylistic, um, work product, but yeah, I, I can see that these miniatures would, would be pretty neat to, neat keepsakes. So. And I'm glad they compared this to the red ruby slippers because 
while I'm very familiar with Star Wars, I didn't realize the significance of this model. I mean, that right. really puts it into context for me, because I would say that's probably one of the most iconic movie props. Right. Uh, they're actually like in a museum now, so pretty neat. Okay, let's keep going. Next article is over in Hatch Ideas. A popular drugstore chain is filing for bankruptcy amid opioid lawsuits and financial woes. I didn't see this coming. Um, the pharmacy chain they Rite Aid. They didn't put their stuff out on the sidewalk, I don't think. Yeah, I guess we'll have to drive by one and see if all of their stuff is at, like opioids and other drugs are on the little white tables. They're just selling them really deep discount. Gotta go. Everything's... Our prices aren't as high as our medication gets you. That kind of thing. No. Pharmacy chain okay, Rite Aid. First... Fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of that's true. Um, but this is the pharmacy uh, chain Rite Aid first opened in Pennsylvania in 1962 and probably seeking profits and greed drove it into the ground by 2023. That's just my observation. Madeline Garfinkel over at entrepreneur.com wrote this article too. My goodness. Rite Aid is facing over a thousand federal lawsuits, along with state court cases accusing the company of contributing to the opioid crisis. Walmart, CVS, and Walgreens settled opioid-related lawsuits in 2022, but apparently Rite Aid is the one that does not get to uh, finish, I guess, the battle of the pharmacies. Uh, you know, it's kind of like fast food wars, but this is the... When everybody talked about drug wars while I was growing up, that's not what I had in mind. Yeah. Four pharmacies enter, three pharmacies leave. <laughs> the pharmacy secured $3.45 billion in funding to sustain operations in the bankruptcy phase and plans to maintain its store operations and customer service, the New York Times reported. Meanwhile, pharmacists are trying to bow out you know they're they're considering striking. No, no, no. I know, but some pharmacies pharmacists are are considering striking. But there's enough money where, during a bankruptcy, they can secure three point four five billion. Yeah, that number really jumped out. I I can't quite connect those two things. According to the drugstore chain's last earnings report released in June, Rite Aid's revenue declined by nearly 6% and experienced a net loss of $306.7 million, almost triple from $110.2 million for the same period a year prior. Why are they operating that high? Why is their net loss that high? The others uh, aren't doing not it. selling opioids? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I the don't know. The potential Chapter 11 filing would encompass Rite Aid's $3.3 billion debt. How? An ongoing legal claim surrounding the allegation that the chain contributed to an oversupply of prescription painkillers. Can you imagine if Rite Aid was the sole, like, major contributor? The others settled already. Why Rite Aid? Well, and why hasn't, I mean, that doesn't mean Rite Aid couldn't settle. So why aren't they settling? Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like, were they more culpable than the others? Or right. does their board or somebody go, no, we're not going to settle? I mean, it, something's not making sense here. Yeah, we just don't know, huh? 
So Rite Aid is among a myriad of retail, a myriad? Okay. Um, of retailers, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens that settled opioid related lawsuits paying over 13 billion collectively. Uh, earlier it said that it, the other three settled, but not Rite Aid. This implies that Rite Aid did. Oh, I see what you, yeah, I think that's misleading. Meanwhile, I feel drug... like it's kind of like in context of is what this sentence was meant to state. Gotcha. So, oh, I guess, I don't know. This, the article's kind of broken I think it's in my misleading head. though. Yeah. Meanwhile, drug manufacturers, Purdue Pharma, how do you pronounce that? Malincroit? And Endo International have also declared bankruptcy due to opioid-related litigation. Malincroit, having initially committed $1.7 billion to opioid plaintiffs during its Chapter 11 restructuring last year, is now on the path toward a subsequent bankruptcy, leaving about $1 billion of that commitment unpaid. Similarly, Endo is encountering government opposition to its proposal to gradually pay $450 million to state governments and $119 million to plaintiff plaintiffs or private plaintiffs. Here's the thing about this. The company, uh, unless the people that led this are also being taxed. You mean like the principals? Yes. The stakeholders, the stockholders, the people that are profiting off of it right obviously there was some how how would you refer to it it's not really a a a people cognizant of a conspiracy but opioids suddenly blossom into reality and were handed out like so many skittles only to find just like skittles there's some toxicity there and you end up with these people filthy freaking rich personally but their companies are failing. So what ends up happening is the, the people are still filthy freaking rich and making money on these blood diamonds. And then all of the people who are just doing their work, lose their jobs and get labeled as contributing to the opioid crisis. Maybe we don't know all of their names publicly, but in the system people know who these players are yet the people who made this all possible and profited from it greatly the ones that marketed it the ones that pushed it the ones that sold it they're still filthy freaking rich that's the problem that i have with this so at the center of the epidemic and the subsequent lawsuits is the sackler family founders and owners of purdue pharma the supreme court has halted purdue's six billion dollar settlement with the Sackler family as it examines potential legal flaws in the chapter 11 plan, considering whether bankruptcy courts have the authority to approve settlements that protect third parties like Purdue's owners from legal claims. Exactly what I said. Quite fascinating. So now I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with the Supreme court, because I don't for a second think that they're going to side on the, on this um like piercing the veil concept where they're gonna puncture a hole through the purdue pharma veil that separates the principles from liability for the actions the company takes i even hate the idea the company 
is held responsible, but not the assholes that made it all possible. Well, right, and then can't the people just kind of reform another company? That's, and and that's what they do. That's exactly what they do. Okay. Uh, the last article for today is in Constructagon. NASA confident of 3D printing houses on the moon by 2040. Can't even get it all okay, done in the state. that's kind of close. <laughs> yeah. We don't even have the GPS problem set up yet. Uh, solved, yeah, right. Alex Tierer-Jones yeah. over at 3dprintingindustry.com put the article together. Um, I love the idea of this, although, what, 17 years away? We don't even have 3D printing allowed in all states in the United States. You got a better chance of doing it in some far-flung uh, uh country um where apparently it's a bad thing to n print from the natural materials you have to chop down thousands of trees and forge individual nails so that you can sit there and staple everything together just in time for a hurricane to rip the roof off of your house and blow it all away now that's not exactly <laughs> what the point is <laughs> oh i'm sorry so through an ongoing collaboration with Texas-based 3D printing construction firm Icon, which I actually love everything that Icon is doing and I wish that they would bring their technology to hometown, NASA hopes to 3D print homes on the moon by 2040 as part of its Artemis mission. When I first saw this article, all I saw was the snippet and I saw this. And I didn't see Icon even in the snippet. All I saw was that right there. Mm -hmm. um, and I instantly thought of Icon as being the solution for this. They are already in the gate, ready for it to stop, like drop, and they're off um, to the races. So Icon's technology is pretty amazing. The partnership has already seen Icon receive $30 million in NASA funding back in 2020 and an additional $57.2 million in 2022 to support its Project Olympus initiative. Through Project Olympus, the Texas-based company is uh, working to develop a 3D printer that can fabricate buildings out of concrete made from rock chips, mineral fragments, and dust readily available on the lunar surface. Nuh-uh, because the moon is made of cheese. <laughs> and it's hollow. So maybe it can 3D print out of cheese. And hollow cheese. <laughs> hollow Swiss. Um, so NASA and ICON's mission seeks to protect, or sorry, create houses that are not only suitable for NASA astronauts, but can also be used by ordinary citizens with the long-term goal of creating a permanent human colony on the moon and eventually Mars. So I have an idea of how they could do this. And that is the actual lander itself is the four posts for the 3d printer. And it can just kind of crawl around and oh, okay. 3D print. Sure. Um, and depending on how big the actual lander is, if it is big enough to hold four people, then it's big enough to be the printer. And, and then it'll grab, you just shovel all the material in, it mixes it up, it prints it uh, a square. And then uh, the, because it, prints the square within its confines it can just shuttle itself over and print another cube and then print another cube i think it's uh, personally i think it's a great idea but we'll see what they end up doing none of it's ever going to be like this in, in our lifetime but 
Well, maybe in yours, because you're from the future and you're a sentient AI, so. Um, well, 2040 from. is not very far off, but I think that's very... Um, aspirational. Yes, aspirational. Thank you. With Artemis 1 having successfully circled the moon in 2022, Artemis 2 is scheduled to send a former human crew to orner, uh, lunar orbit in November 2024. This mission will be followed in 2025 by Artemis 3, which will land humans on the moon for the first time since 72. At least that's what they're having us believe. The additional Do not pedal conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> but aliens are going to stop us from landing on the moon anyway. So the two additional crewed missions are planned before the decades end with lunar base 3D printed uh, construction expected to be up and running by 2040. Oh, please. I want to see this so bad. If, if this, if icon lands a 3D printer on the moon, I need to figure out how we can watch it printing in real time from earth through a telescope except that the focal length doesn't allow you to look onto the surface so i i man this is like a this is the future that uh, i was hoping that i like ever since i was a kid i've always said i was either born way too late or way too early um even though you know nowadays i go now nah, i don't want to be around when nights were around because i would have died of something you know, really fast. People didn't live into the eighties. Um, and then in there the wasn't future, good enough hygiene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, somebody saying, wash your hands and you're a heathen and burned at the stake. Anyway, moon based 3d printing, I think is going to be amazing. I hope that we get it operational here in the United States, uh, before we do it on the moon, which would be just a sad state of affairs for earth. 3d printing of, structures here on earth will be much more robust and friendlier to the environment because you're going to be using natural resources and not chopping down trees to facilitate living in a structure that basically falls apart over time 3d printed houses wouldn't you know they'd be all one contiguous piece immovable until you decide to chop it down with a bulldozer you know i'll just have to raise it like that i mean it's basically a castle wall ai space factory modified its original polymer made with simulated uh martial regolith to instead use actual lunar regolith this material has undergone undergone testing in nasa's vacuum chambers which will further inform the development of sustainable 3d printers capable of constructing large lunar based structures that's just one there's a bunch of others that are out there that are doing this more research. This is really cool. Yeah, I'm. I love this. So there you go, folks. Um, let me. I didn't throw this article into chat. There you go. And I didn't throw the 3D printer article into chat. But now we're all caught up. It's in the VOD. It'll be in the show notes, um, and will probably be available maybe tomorrow morning. Um, I'll try to get it out tonight, but uh, I've got things that I need to do. Unfortunately, I am mayor of hometown and oh, many, many, many hats. So thanks for coming. Um, what we normally do is we bring you back to the front page 
that's main street to us and then we refresh it and we got a whole bunch of new these are all entertainment articles um you kind of have to be careful about uh today's news and well lately news because of the conflict in the middle east but did you see that the meta glass holes have arrived nice yeah there's some new glasses um and dollars to donuts those are going to be those new meta ray-ban glasses that uh, people are using and i called this this will actually be in my discussion uh, tomorrow because i'm going to be talking to um, several groups of people and this will be this will be highlighted (laughs) because this is what i referred to meta uh, glasswearers as being because this is basically glass holes 2.0 Somebody's going to be wearing these into a bathroom and get punched in the freaking face so fast. Um, and they deserve it. Not really. I mean, it, in the spiritual sense, assault is never a viable option. Um, unless you're defending yourself and then it is what it is. But, you know, you just have to be honest about this. If you wear these into places that are perceived private, you deserve to be shunned. You deserve to be called out. And someone out there is going to violate your personal space just physically, as opposed to what you're doing with these stupid glasses that I I love the idea of them, but if you don't shut them off, put them in your pocket, it's a a breach of the social contract contract. People want their privacy, give it to them. Um, AWS outage. What else? I love the idea of folding screens, rolling screens, but they're not ready for prime time. Um, so many things, so many things. Okay. That's it. Let's get out of here. We will talk to you tomorrow. I am Merwad. That is hometown.com. And up there, the sentient AI that's going to say good night or whatever else. Whatever else, hometown citizens, good night. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. I was not expecting that. Okay. See you soon, everybody. Bye-bye.